Well, hello, everybody. Here we are, staring into the sun. Uh, I am Pastor John Gibson, uh, one of the one part of the brotherly duo here, and I'm a pastor in Centerville, Ohio, at a church called Living Hope Church. And here's my beautiful, esteemed brother. Yes, yes. Thank you for welcoming me, brother. I'm uh, Rom Gibson. I'm a licensed psychologist in Denver, Colorado, and. Uh, yeah, we're, we're across the country from each other, but we join each other on these live streams and so grateful that you've joined us. However, you're finding us here on the on the podcast, on the interwebs, on a short uh, video clip or somehow just so grateful for you're here. And while you're at it, encourage you to subscribe. Uh, if you're on YouTube, hit the notification bell so you get, you know, are made aware of uh, videos as they come out. If you're on podcasts, subscribe, uh, share, tell other people about it if you like what you're hearing. And uh, uh, yeah, so so grateful you're here to join us. Anything else I missed in there, man? No, I think that's it, man. We, we are uh, excited to be here again and just uh, got our first email, didn't we, Robbie? <laughs> from, <laughs> from a listener. <laughs> if yeah. you would like to email us, we would staring into the sun podcast at gmail.com. We promise within three months we will get back with you. <laughs> we both have busy lives like everybody else. But we're going to do better about checking our email. But it was great to hear from a listener. Yeah, uh, right. Great to have some engagement. I know we've had um, more folks jumping on social media and, and checking us out on Facebook. And we hope that you find your way here to uh, what we hope is valuable to you, wherever you are in your journey and your relationships with others and your relationship with God. Um, it's our passion to connect those two things, head and heart together, that great collision where we believe uh, some really cool stuff happens. So, yeah, we're going to continue the conversation today. We've been, the last time we were on, now we've we've had vacations and you haven't seen us for a little bit because we've been well, traveling around the country and uh, doing stuff with our families, And uh, but we're back. And we started a conversation, remind me, Rob, on relationships. We're kind of wanting to jump in on just different helpful places um, to offer things to help you in your relationships. And so we're going to continue that today. But what did we talk about the last time? Re- refresh our memories. Man, we talked about uh, we, we talked about the four you know kind of four dynamics in relationships that are really toxic, um, and then we talked about four inverse uh, elements of those. Uh, so uh, contempt, stonewalling, defensiveness, and criticism, and then the inverse of those, and and how they apply in relationships as well as how they connect with uh, Christian spirituality. And so if you would like to check that one out, it's it's up there everywhere. YouTube, uh, your your podcast that you prefer. So you can go and check that one out. We, we talked about those those issues specifically. And uh, we're going to keep on in the realm of relationships. Now, as a reminder, when you hear that, you might think, especially in religious circles, when people talk about relationships, the assumption is they're talking all about intimate, romantic uh, relationships. And just as a caveat, we aim to talk about the full gamut of relationships uh, because not everybody is in that place in their life or somebody might have pain around that particular area of their life. So uh, we are talking about relationships in regard to uh, family, friends, uh, intimate partners, spouses, uh, uh, relationships with colleagues, you know, it can vary. And so we're ta- we're going to talk about skills and issues that come up in relationships that we hope will be useful to you. And uh, in particular today, John, I want to talk about two, if we can get through them. One is assumptions. 
and the other is triangles. I wonder what happens triangles, when you assume, Robbie. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I've never heard that before. You've never heard of that? Well, we're, we're going to talk about what happens today, aren't we? And, and triangles, and pa- right? <laughs> Speaking of, pastors do not use profane language, correct? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, sure. Should we not get into that? <laughs> so assumptions and triangles. So not assumptions and squares. Assumptions and That's triangles. Right. Well, help me, That's Robbie. Right. What? Well, I guess should we dive in the first yeah. one then? Assumptions. Yeah, what do you What do you mean assumptions? How does let, that connect yeah. with us? Let me lay this out. And so the general concept of this is, uh, in relationships, our our bodies and brains are constantly trying to predict other people. Okay, that this is where the word assumptions come in. Is is uh, we try to assume what is going to be happening next, and then behave accordingly. Um, the way I like to think of it, this is, you know, in our past experience, we developed this kind of reservoir of experiences, things that we remember. If you think about like driving a stick shift, right? When you initially drive a stick shift, it's all co- like you have, you're paying attention to a lot of things. Uh, and maybe a fair amount of our listeners don't even know what a stick shift is. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> so a this, tool is, of the devil. this is a vehicle. This is a car before that there oh. were uh, computer systems that automated. It <laughs> caused me to run into okay. people behind you, me you, because you, I read the motor. You would use, <laughs> right. You would use uh, two pedals and a shifter, right? While you also drove with your other hand and uh, a clutch and a gas and a brake, right? So, uh, when you first learn something complicated like that, you have to pay a lot of attention to what your feet are doing, what your hands are doing. But over time, that becomes automated so that you don't have to think about it. And that is a safer way to drive, right? Because if you're driving and constantly having to think about where your hands and feet are and the pressure on the pedals and all of that, you're not paying attention to the road as well. It's less safe. And so our body automates things to make things go smoother and safe so you can pay attention in other areas. Well, in relationships, our our minds and bodies do that too. It takes this reservoir of relational experience that we've had in the past. And as we have new experiences, it will take this old experience and kind of like overlay it on top of the new experience and say, well, these are pretty similar. So now I know what to do. Okay. So, so let me give an example, like a practical relational example that might be useful to give you a sense of this. So um, say, say you're in a relationship with somebody and uh, you notice that their facial expressions convey that they're kind of irritated, okay? Well, what will naturally happen is you'll do things that instinctively come to you when somebody else is irritated. And that varies depending on your past experience. Your instinct might be to lean in and say, oh, you seem upset, what's going on? And to ask them about it. Your instinct might be like, oh, they're upset. Maybe I should leave them alone and not talk to them. Or it might be something like, oh, they're really upset, so I should probably take care of these things for them because that will reduce their stress and make things better for them. Now, when that works, (laughs) it's fine, right? But when it's off, say your brain is overlaying something on somebody else that is really not what they want, uh, then you start behaving in ways that really bother the other person. Like when you do that, that's not what I want. Stop doing that for me. And then you might get defensive, like, well, I was just trying to show you that I care, right? And so that's what I mean. These, these assumptions, yeah. when they work, they're, they, they function okay, but when they're off, 
they can cause a lot of conflict in relationships. I just had this flash when we were kids, and I always had this oh, no. assumption that you wanted to wrestle. Like, oh. you, wherever you were around me, I would get this feeling, like, or I would read your facial expressions, oh, and man. I would say, he wants to wrestle. He wants to f- have a I physical altercation. <laughs> yes. I was itching to wrestle the person All that the was time. 60 pounds like, heavier I just, than me. Yes. <laughs> cracked me up as you were saying like being all serious that's why i was smiling i was just envisioning and then your reaction every time i wanted to wrestle it it was it was um yeah it was very interesting this uh, (laughs) very diverse uh interaction with you (laughs) yes well and then some unexpected some quite unexpected (laughs) to take it further you know perhaps if i'm in a new experience where someone seems to want to be aggressive towards me i might instinctively try to avoid and run away Right. Like I did with you, you know, I would run (laughs) away and lock myself in a room somewhere. You know, that was my defense. And so if that happens in the wrong situation, maybe if I misread that somebody's going to be aggressive and I retreat and run away from them, they're going to be very confused by my behavior. Right. This is where assumptions, assumptions break down. And uh, as I talk about that, I wonder if, you know, if, if you think, especially working in a church, if, if you think, you know, you primarily just see this in, in like romantic relationships, or do you see this happening just in relationships in general as you work with people? Oh, gosh, yeah, I think you, like, you said it well. It's from our pool of past experience, you know, and I mean, I think that pertains to all of our relationships, and I see it in the church all the time, you know, our, people's relationships with the church or relationships in community in the church. Um, you know, folks... Folks jump to conclusions all the time with, you know, how they're interacted with within the church, even as me, just as a pastor, how I interact with people. I butt up against that all the time, where actually just a um, couple weeks ago, I had a situation where someone was in need and I th- my my assumption with what their need was was different from what they actually assumed I would do for them, and we kind of had a we had a cross you know cross wire situation where uh, the, they just made assumptions about the way I felt about that person because of the way I interacted with them, and until we went and talked yeah. about it and kind of clarified, oh wow, I didn't realize that you felt like my inattention to you meant this. For them, it was a giant deal and almost you know caused them to to leave until we actually met, right. you know, because they had been hurt in the past or had felt disconnected in the past or whatever and had put that on our relationship, you know. So, yeah, I think it just happens a lot and happens in the church all the time, too, where we make assumptions. I do it as a pastor, as yes. a, you know, not only in my own personal yes. relationships. I make assumptions about trying to read people and what they're feeling and what they're thinking. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, and we, you know, th- this is kind of like a very typical thing that we, we find that teenagers do a lot, like, oh, everybody hates me or they're thinking this about me. And then we, we kind of uh, kind of uh, cover up the reality that uh, adults continue to do this behavior on into the rest of their lives. You know, like uh, it's easier to just point at teenagers and say, oh, they're, you know, uh, they're, they're all emotional and don't know how to yeah. handle things. But it's like, oh, no, this continues. Um, and I think listeners can resonate with, you know, uh, our, your mind giving you information of like what other people are thinking or feeling about you. Like, oh, they must they must think I'm weird or they must think I'm stupid or, you know, they must think that I'm I'm an idiot. And when you're right, those are really useful because it's meant to help keep you safe from people who might do some harm to you. 
Uh, and when you've encountered situations where like somebody would force you to wrestle and cause you actual harm. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I didn't cause him harm, by the way. <laughs> Psychological harm. Psychological, right? <laughs> emotional harm. <laughs> right. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so, so when that's happened, you know, and when you're right, it does keep you safe. But like in the situation you mentioned, when it occurs in this situation where you have somebody, you know, legitimately open and interested in helping and open to other possibilities of what might be happening, if you retreat too early or if you cut off too early, if you fight too early, it can cause a breakdown in relationship. Um, and uh, what you described that happened is actually really the antidote of what we need to do, which is uh, the way I like to think of it is we're kind of sleepwalking through these situations. We're not really awake. We're sleepwalking, re relying on instinctive reactions. And what we really need to do is wake up. And what do I mean by wake up? I mean, I need to wake up to what's happening right here and right now. And the reality that I have no idea what you think and feel. I might be making some assumptions about the story of what you think and feel based off of what I think about pastors, what I think about men, what I think about a white guy, like it, it could vary about what my story might tell me or your facial expressions even. Um, but the challenge of waking up is to say, okay, but I don't really know. And if I want to know, I need to ask and have a conversation. Um, I need to, we all need to wake up to the moment and check in. What are you thinking and feeling? What did you mean when you said that? What am I thinking and feeling? What did, what do I actually mean? And it's not until you get there that you can make some progress on actually connecting with each other and, and going somewhere together. It kind of brings to mind a philosophical thought in that respect, Robbie, is that really the only thing that is real is here and now, right? In the present uh, moment, you know, in presence. Okay. And we live in a lot of anxiety in both places of future and past, right? We have pain attached to our past experience that you said kind of fills our well of how then we assume and respond based on trying to keep ourselves safe or be in healthy relationship. And we have anxiety about the future. How will the person respond? How will this affect me if I don't read the situation right or this breaks down? But, but the only thing that's true and real, if you really think about it, is right here in this present moment and engaging. But engaging that place is like really hard because if you think about it, all, all we want to do is, is have anxiety about the future because we want to figure out where we're headed and how to work things out. Or we, we're afraid of the future and we wallow in the past, you know? And I, I think those things are true not just about relationship with other people, but it's also true about relationship with God. And anytime we live outside of the present, none of those things, you know, the past is over and done. We can't change them. And the future isn't even real yet. We, we have no idea where we're headed or what's going to happen. But how do we draw ourselves? I talk to people a lot about this just spiritually as well. How do we, how do we draw ourselves into a present experience of relationship, not just with one another, but with God when really everything in the world is kind of trying to invite us out of that space, you know, where we can engage in an authentic way. And really, like you're kind of saying, the, the way we, we know what somebody's thinking is to be present, to be awake, like you said, to have our, our eyes and ears open, to be listening and, and hearing in that situation. But that's challenging, too. Right. And, and it's, it's risky in the sense that like, uh, th there are, there are people or I'm, you know, all of us are capable of being a person that would pose a serious risk to somebody else. Right. And so 
because we can never fully get rid of that risk, uh, it, it makes doing this uh, risky, right? It's challenging, a bit scary, right? And so uh, I think, you know, we, we need some help knowing, you know, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes. We need some help knowing what some of the, some indicators that I could take this risk might be. Um, and I find in relationships, we often ignore a lot of the indicators for a very long period of time, right? Like this person has showed up consistently for months or for years. That that must mean that they're trying, right? Uh, but our, our narrative or our past experience can say, oh, but they, you know, they could turn on a dime just like, you know, uh, this other situation did. And, and it can cause us to not share those in the moment thoughts um, or experiences. And, and actually, uh, th- there's a very rich tradition uh, in psychotherapy around group group therapy that that really hits on this, um, uh, where shifting you away from the idea that your perception is reality, right? Like whatever you're feeling, whatever you're perceiving is reality at that moment, and then behaving like that. And group therapy, when it's at its best, it challenges every person in the room to speak what they're experiencing in that moment and to contribute that so that everybody else can get access to reality as the person is expressing it, as opposed to, uh, you know, my assumptions about what they are. And uh, when relationships are going well, we're (coughs) courageous and open to asking the person, you know, how do you feel about what I just said? What are you thinking about what I just said? And the other person having the courage to be able to say it, you know, this, I'm still working through this. I'm not sure if this is what I mean, but this is something I'm thinking. Um, now, of course, you know, we filter some things, right? It, it doesn't mean you openly share everything you think. There's a reason we filter what we think, because it might not all be where we're at. Um, however, I think the pathway to waking up is trying to press into the moment and say, this is what's happening for me right now. I'm feeling afraid that you're going to do this. Um, now, that's a risky move because it, it, it opens you up the situation. You've talked about vulnerability before. It yeah. opens you up uh, to potentially being hurt. But think of the risk on the other direction. If you don't say it, you don't get an opportunity for real connection. Yeah, You prioritize safety over connection. I feel like there's a little element of control in this too. You know, the reason I assume uh, maybe a latent foundation of that assumption is that I can be in control of the things I think about you. I, I can see how this might keep a keep a person, like you said, disconnected from someone or not going deeper in a relationship. And maybe even in a, a relationship that's trying to move towards some sort of reconciliation. If you, if you just make assumptions without asking the people, asking the person and engaging in authentic relationship about where they really are, you're not really giving them an opportunity to be anything different than what you've experienced either. Correct. You know, so you're kind of, I, I think some of us, um, do this assumption thing too because it's safe in in respect to I get to control who people are based on what I think of them rather than like you said it's a little riskier to to say maybe I don't know you and so I have to relationally expose myself and invest to the idea that I might not know who you are or you might be different than I assume you to be and I might have gotten it wrong I, I think that's scary for us too sometimes right Right. I, yeah, I resonate with that. There's like this element of I'm going to decide who you are because it's just safer if I do that because then I can predict it. Um, and that allows you to predict it and keep yourself safe, but you don't connect with people because of the situations when you're wrong. Right. And also, I think 
it cuts out space for people to change and redeem themselves or or grow, right? Like if, if I have a set narrative about who you are based off of some characteristic of you, then I, I take away the opportunity for you to, to transform yourself. I mean, this is a really common issue with uh, difficult children, right? Difficult children will often get the message from their parents because they're difficult, right? Difficult children are, are terrible to experience, right? When, when, when anybody's behaving really obnoxiously, it's really unpleasant. And so the child will get a regular message of, you know, why are you doing that? What's the matter with you? Um, and uh, th they'll get the message that uh, you're never going to see the ways that I'm any different because all you see is me as being the bad kid. There's no other narrative for me. So what am I going to do? Um, yeah. And, and the, you know, the, the, the kid can get stuck in that narrative. And so, and this happens outside of children as well, but that's a really common example where we decide who other people are and don't give them a chance to grow. And I, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't want that for myself. You know, I, I'd want the opportunity to grow as a person. You know, I, I certainly don't want to be judged by what I did when I was 12 or 10. Yeah, or, right. <laughs> <laughs> Two other things came to mind. I'd be interested in you talking about too, Robbie. One, one is that <laughs> when I'm and I've experienced this in my own relationships, my marriage, when I um, make assumptions, uh, I, I like the idea that my assumptions mean I'm right about you. So it's not just I get to control who you are, but I get to be right about who you are, you know, in terms of like, um, you know, trying to get in front of how my wife's responding or reading her expressions or knowing, trying to assume what she's going to do in order to get right. out in front of a situation. It really is that there's an arrogance in that, too, that I, I do know who you are and I'm right about who you are, you know, and I, I know that's a that kind of pokes at me a little bit, you know, I don't, what would you think about? What does that stir up in oh, you? No. Yeah. That one hurts. Right. Like <laughs> arrogance. Right. Like I, yeah. it, 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 on the surface, it might be, Oh, all my behavior is about is trying to trying to do better for you and help you. But underneath it lurks this arrogance of like, uh, uh, I know best in this situation and I'm going to make that choice for you about how things are going to proceed. Um, yeah, that, that has a that has a dark quality to it underneath, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and it makes me squirm a little bit. And sometimes the way I interact with it, it and that's do. like a right. that's like one of those subtle things too. Where you don't really like like want to look at it in the way you respond to other people. But a lot of times, I think maybe we don't move forward in relationship because we're convinced we know who a person is, you know, or we know even better than they do who they are, and then determine yeah. how we relate to them because of that knowledge or or that idea right. we have in our heads about who they are, you know? Right. And, and then I might get defensive when I get feedback from somebody of like, you know, what, why are you doing it that way? That bothers me. And I might feel defensive of like, how could you be bothered by me putting forth effort to try to care for you? Right? Like, that's a good thing. There's something wrong with you that you're bothered by that. And it's like, well, no, 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 they're, they're onto something. And I need to be curious why my behavior is bothering them. And ask myself, you know, is it possible that I'm making decisions for them uh, at, you know, or, or I'm being, you know, subtly arrogant underneath? Um, now, it's, it's certainly possible that, uh, you know, the other person is behaving inappropriately or something. And, but, but I think the th what we're getting at here is being willing to look at, at your own motivations for making these assumptions about people.
Yeah. I think in so, general too, my, my second kind of thought is like, oh, sometimes we do this on a general scope in terms of relationships. I was thinking too, and just in particular about our relationship with God, that a lot of times when we see others experience relationships with like, say the church or a pastor or, you know, a, a man or a woman or a white man or a white, we make these generalizations about how how certain people act. Um, I think we also do this with God. We make certain assumptions about how God acts based on other people's experience or based on kind of like a, a meta perspective from, you know, looking outside in on someone's experience with someone else. And then we determine how we relate based on that kind of meta experience. Does that make sense? Can, so like, can you fill that in with an example? Yeah. So like um, all, I'm trying to think. Like when you, if someone comes into relationship with God and and they see, they make an assumption about how God is always, you know, distant and um, harming people and never showing up, right? Because he's they've seen they've seen an example from other people's lives or their own experience that God never showed up, and yet they don't they don't really ever have firsthand present experience with God, but they made these assumptions about relationship with him. I'm doing a terrible job yeah, with the examples, no, but think, yeah. you know what I'm saying there? I think there's also an element of this where it's not just right here and now with me and you, but sometimes we, we don't even get to that place with people because, you know, even like a cultural interaction with relationship, you know, if you, if you, you have a, uh, an experience with, say, an uh, an ethnic group or something, and and before you even, or even like for example, you're walking down the road and there's a homeless person on the side of the road, you know, and your your kind of meta perspective is they're unsafe or they probably did something to put themselves in that situation. They they don't deserve someone to help them. I, I don't know, fill in the blank that sure. keeps you from engaging in relationship because you have this overarching perspective or an assumption about who they are. I think I just think we do that a lot in society where we're not actually willing then to enter into present relationship because of some bigger perspective that has that we've made an assumption about who a group of people are that defines individuals. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm talking that, that around it. Yeah. No, no. I, and, and when you were talking about specifically with God, it had me thinking about the ways that we take our past experience with uh, other attachment experiences like our parents or other figures. And then we, well, you know, that, that's what we have to borrow from. And then we'll overlay that on our experience of connection with God and then use that to then interpret uh, wh what's happening. Like, uh, uh, you know, th this bad thing is happening. It must be because God God hates me or I've or I feel God in some way and God is judging me. Um, you know, something like that, where where it might not resonate with uh, kind of the, the accumulated wisdom about God's you know, approach to his people, for example, or something like that, right? So I might overlay that on top um, and make assumptions, and then that would cause me to say, you know, I don't, I don't want any part of that. Yeah, I think that's why, kind of getting back to what you said, and I'd love to hear some practice from you about why being present in relationship is then so important, you know, and how do we find mm -hmm. our way to that place where we're, we're we are open and listening and finding out and like you said asking the hard question maybe give us some tools how do you how do you bring yourself in any relationship where you you kind of know oh wow i'm making assumptions here how do i move myself out of that kind of cycle and into a place where i can really genuinely 
hear from someone who they are and what they think and uh, ultimately to move into healthier relationship right that's kind of our goal i think with this whole conversation is how do we have healthy whole relationships so so the caveat i would say before i give some practical uh, input is you know of course these need to be nuanced to your own situation uh, because sometimes you might be in a situation where it's dangerous or risky and it's rationally risky and you may not want to do this right you know like uh, you know, if you're with somebody who's who's aggressive and drunk, you know, asking them, hey, you know, tell me what you're feeling and thinking right. about me right now uh, is, is probably not the strategy. So, right. um, you know, with the caveat of, you know, nuance this with some help or some guidance. Um, but but I really think in a in a healthy or good enough relationship where there's conflict or tension or confusion going in and saying either asking or doing it yourself this is what I'm thinking and feeling right now, like right this moment, not what I want to be thinking and feeling or what I think I could say that might impact you positively. It's like, what am I thinking and feeling right now? Right now I'm feeling afraid uh, that I did something that hurt you and that the next thing I say is going to make it worse. That's what I'm thinking right now. Right. And, and that opens the person up to, to, to see that you're not gaming. You're not trying to cover something up. You're going to just show up right in the moment. Um, so that would be one option. And the other option is to, to ask for it. Like, you know, can, can you just tell me right now what's happening for you? Like what you're thinking and feeling like right here, right now. Um, you know, I, I might ask that of you in that, in that meeting, you know, what are you th- like, what's happening right now? Cause I, I feel confused and you could say, well, here's, here's what I'm thinking about this and this, um, that new information then creates some tension in my brain and body between what got overlaid on top. Right. Because it, it shifts the pattern of like, if, if something happens that surprises me, like, oh, I expected pastors to be really judgmental about this. Right. Like say, say, uh, you know, I come into you and I might want to talk to you about, uh, you know, to use a simple example or a a prominent one. Currently, I might come in and talk to you about how I'm having, uh, you know, like I'm I'm going to your church and I'm also gay and I'm not sure if that's going to be okay. And my brain is overlaying every church hates people that are gay and thinks they're going to hell. Right. And so I might be nervous to sit with you and say, hey, and, and there would be some validity based off of past experience. But if I lean in and say, I just need to know, and I've had people do this with me in therapy, like, I kind of need to know before we talk, how you think and feel about this. Um, yeah. And, and that is a very like vulnerable question, but it also has us both talk right here in the present moment where you can get real information about where I'm actually at. Um, and so I think that's a good place to start when you're in a relationship that you can reasonably believe that the person's going to be honest with you. Now, when I say reasonably believe they're going to be honest with you, that might be affected by your past experiences, right? And that might say, well, if I ask myself, I I don't know if I can reasonably believe anybody would be honest with me. Well, you need to check into that. But a really good step for authenticity in relationships is to say, what is happening right here, right now? Yeah, I think it's so good. You know, I I think, I don't know how this fits into it too, but but I feel like sometimes when I make assumptions, it leads me to abandon ship a little quicker than I might normally have in, in a, in a, like a tension situation or a conflict situation with people. You know, I, 
or it leads me to not talk directly to the person. And I love this invitation, like to come into the present. And it also invites us to, to speak to the person directly. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. not escalating a circumstance because we're, we're talking to someone else about how someone else, how we think someone else feels. I think that even escalates the situation even further. I've experienced that a lot just as a pastor, you know, where I can't do a lot about someone's tension or someone's questions or conflict with me in particular because i can only speak about that i can't i can't do anything about it when when they're talking around the periphery to everyone else other than coming to talk to me directly you know and right. so that's an interesting right. thing that i think assumptions yeah. do to us yeah too. and that's a we may talk about this more later but that's definitely a segue into triangles right um, I know you nice <laughs> nice handoff there, right? So, uh, family systems uh, theory. Uh, this actually comes, I think, from Bowenian family therapy. He was a psychoanalyst who did family therapy. Uh, talked about triangulation, um, and but I could be wrong there. It might be a different family systems theorist, but I'm pretty sure it's him. But regardless, it's this idea that uh, when there's tension between two people in a relationship like this. Uh, it feels more intense, but if I add a third point to the triangle and I go through somebody else to that person, I alleviate the tension I have between me and that person, right? And now this is aside from something like, uh, you know, venting your feelings to a close friend and trying to sort out what you think and feel so you can go back to the person, right? But triangulation would be, I'm going to pause the tension I have between me and you, and I'm going to bring in a third party to facilitate it, right? It, it might be like, you know, like the, the the classic like schoolyard issue is like, hey, I like that girl. Why don't you go tell them that I like them and see what they think, right? It's like, yeah. I can't handle the face-to-face tension. I'm going to triangulate you and have you experience the tension. Now, that, that one's a little bit less harmful. It's pretty harmless. Uh, It doesn't necessarily teach you the skills you need to approach somebody directly, right? Um, But this persists as we get into uh, other relationships in adulthood. This happens all the time in families where one person will will use a child or another family member to intervene to try to alleviate conflict. Um, And then a kid might take that on as their role. Like, it's my job to alleviate how mom's feeling between mom and dad, right? Or something like that. Um, and so uh, this being right here in the moment right now, I, I agree with you. It also includes the courage to go face to face with that person um, and not go around because that's really not being right there in the present. That's uh, pushing somebody else into the present for you. And so, yeah, a key to ending triangulation is to realize you're doing it and then to challenge yourself to say, who do I need to be talking with? Uh, who am I feeling what about? Um, because if I'm feeling this about you, then why am I engaging third party, right? We are so bad at this. <laughs> I think just in general, you know, I, I hear you talking I'm like, oh my gosh, we, this is like everybody's bad at this, you know, because we, I, I think just in general, we, we just don't like tension. We don't like conflict on any level, you know, and whether yeah. it's in our interpersonal relationships, you know, deep our, our like marriage relationships, for example, I think a lot of times we, we hate tension so much that we just would rather abandon ship. You know, we'd rather, we'd rather just leave the room than to, to deal with the tension. But the problem is that tension is a part also of healthy relationship, I believe, you know, and when we, because, because there's no real relationship with, without differing of opinion or diverse experience, that's just relationship. And if you don't have those things, you really don't have real relationship anyway. 
And, right. and if you think about it, the way to for me and you to get to know each other better is to encounter those diverse experiences and ideas and beliefs and then to work through them to, to the other end where I can see you as you are. You see me as we as I am. We've worked through the tension that's created because of those differences and we come out on the other yep. side more deeply connected, you know? Yeah, we might have had to have negotiated something or come to some sort of uh, agreement to disagree on something, whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, the, we have to get through it. And and when you mentioned, I think you mean leave the room metaphorically, right? Yeah, like I do. That, I do. That would, that, that would be stonewalling, right? I'm going to leave and never come back. Uh, so uh, practically, you might have to leave the room for a little bit to regather yourself so you can wake up. But the idea would be is you got to go back and you got to re-engage with the person that you're encountering as opposed to leaving, getting somebody else to intervene for you or leaving and never coming back. Yeah. Something else comes to mind because I'm talking about this oddly enough on Sunday uh, uh, coming up yeah. Living Hope. We're talking about tension in relationships and marriage and a relationship with God. Um, but but I think part of it is too we we – and I'd love to hear you talk about this, that oftentimes we very easily go to believing that the person we have tension with or conflict with is enemy. So is someone mm -hmm. that is like opposed to us or means right. to do us harm. Now, again, you, you're good at this because and we put the caveat that sometimes that is true and you have mm -hmm. to be careful. Right. But but I think there's an element to this. And I'm talking about this on Sunday that we we have to learn to instead of assuming that other is enemy all the time to look for the good in others and like to start there. You know, when I have conflict with you and tension with you, it's not just immediately go, oh, you are opposed to me. You want to do me harm. Relationship has to be right. over. As, right. What if instead we, we, we started with, no, look for the good, th that okay. you have the good in mind right. in me. You want to be in relationship with me. This tension is real. But if, but if I start with the good, it invites me to engage personally with you rather than mm -hmm. doing the other things that I do sometimes to cope with my feelings of insecurity or feeling unsafe right. even because of other experiences, you know? Yeah, there, there's like, well, and if you if you are seeing the person as an enemy, that, that is, that is uh, not compatible with being in a connected relationship, yeah. right? Seeing somebody as an enemy or feeling that they're an enemy, which in the moment might makes sense and might be something you have to work through. But what will happen in your mind is your mind will then take a, like a needle and thread a through line between every confirming experience that they're an enemy. It'll try to grab them all to, to confirm to you that you need to do a certain behavior to keep yourself safe. And when you behave like the person close to you is your enemy, the end result of that is ending the relationship or creating distance or, or, or aggression or something, right? It's no good for a relationship that you want to continue. And so in reality, if we, if we talk about what's happening right here and right now, there's something that is an enemy to our connection. And it's usually something like somebody's behavior or uh, a, 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 um, a conflict of values or a disagreement or something. That is an enemy to connection. But we often turn to you are the enemy and our brain will make a through line between those and past evidence, right? Whereas a, a good relationship will have discipline around. I need to make a through line to look for reasons why I see that you are on my side and that you love me. Uh, it, Brene uh, Brown's research would call this, you know, making generous assumptions about the person. If you want to have a connected relationship, you have to make generous assumptions. There, there needs to be a through line connecting 
experiences that say, oh yeah, this person shows up, this person cares. So actually the enemy is this tension that's outside of us. It's this conflict or it's this interference thing. And together we have to sort that out. Um, so, so it's, it's a posture difference. And sometimes uh, even people will say, you know, don't, don't sit across from each other, facing each other when you're in conflict, sit next to each other so that you're facing the enemy, which is whatever oh, it good. is, the, the conflict or the tension or the barrier or whatever, so that you realize the other person isn't your enemy. Uh, cause if you treat them like they are, that then both of you will lose. Yeah, that's good. I'm so, writing that down. <laughs> I love yes, that sitting sir. next to you, not across from. That's such a great practical. I, like I can, I can just see that in my mind. You're this opposing, like you know, yeah. my opposition as opposed to I'm. Yeah. There's a different enemy, and I believe as you know, as a spiritual person, that ultimately the the other reality in our conflict and tension is there is a different enemy. There, there is a force in the world that is looking to destroy you and your relationships. You know, and what it what it however you want to describe that as other than god is tr- what it's trying to do is deflect you from what really can bring about healing and health in your relationships you know if we're opposed yeah. to one another we'll never find our way to trusting one another enough to work through the thing that we have conflict yeah. with you know and yeah, yeah it's so yeah. valuable and and i and think can, kind of back yeah, to that triangle right. thing too rob i think when we're not when we don't feel safe or when we were convinced that someone's against us, that oftentimes is why we go to other people, right? Because yeah. we don't have, I don't have conflict with this person. And if I can get this you person to side with me or, you know, yeah. and if we're not careful, the people that we often go to are the people who, who side with us, if that makes sense. Yeah. The people I often go yeah. to as my third party are not folks who, who necessarily are going to encourage me to go talk to the person to restore relationship. I think the people we kind of default towards are the ones that are maybe going to, no, you're right. This person did do this and you're right to feel this. And while maybe those things are true, I don't know if they necessarily move us towards productive reconciliation either. And we have to be careful with the third person thing, you know, and how we draw other people into it. But I don't think it's the same. Talk, talk to me about this. So say I got insecurities and I want to go and I have a tension in relationship, right? And I'm terrible at conflict because we all suck at conflict, right? But I want to see the good in someone. I want to find restoration, but I really don't have the skill. I don't have the tools. I don't know how to sit down. I don't have the courage maybe even to do that. Is there a situation where it's okay to have someone come along with you to that person? Like oh, say, for example, a pastor or a counselor? Yeah, uh, ha- absolutely. Talk to me about that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, briefly as, as we get close to finishing, but I would say absolutely. Uh, but you make an important point. You would want it to be somebody who's who, who's on the side of the relationship, right? And, and when you go see a couple's therapist, that's definitely, that's the way we see it is I am on, my patient is the relationship. Uh, I'm not on his side, her side, their side, whoever it is. Uh, I am on the side of the relationship. Um, and so uh, you would want to seek out somebody who is on the side of the relationship. And so, yeah, you're right. If, if I'm just bringing this person in to gang up on somebody, that's not going to work. But if, I'm, if I don't know what I'm doing or I need some help or I can't see, yeah, getting somebody who's on the side of the relationship to help me see it differently would, would be yeah, I would definitely recommend that. Yeah. So, man, good stuff. Dude, I wish we had more time to talk. Yes. It was fantastic. I, I hope it was helpful to you today, listener, for sure. <laughs>
Yeah, we'll, we'll keep at it. We're going to continue uh, sharing this information, like relational skills and digging into spiritual foundations of relationships throughout the summer. And and uh, you'll, you'll continue to hear from us on that. If you're interested in uh, asking us questions or uh, providing uh, input for us uh, email to engage us. with, yes, email <laughs> us. Uh, respond to posts that we put on social media. I'm happy to uh, check that and include it in what we talk about. Um, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. We're so glad uh, to have you with us. John, it's great to talk with you. And uh, I'll see you uh, in uh, in a couple of weeks as we continue staring into the sun, brother. Looking forward to it. Grace and peace, everyone. The way we find ourselves is by staring into the sun.